Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, I am speaking with my friend and guest, Dana Snyder. She is a speaker, podcast host, and digital strategist for Positive Equation. And today, we're going to talk about paid ads, which is not a topic that we talk about a lot in the nonprofit space. Before we delve into that, Dana, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in nonprofit before we get to the juicy topic at hand? Yeah, it's so fun to be here with you. Thanks for having me. I really think my like genesis origin story of starting the nonprofit space started back in my college days when I participated in dance marathon. So shout out to anybody else who's participated in a dance marathon before. I attended the University of Central Florida, go Knights. <laughs> Our program was called Nightthon. And so essentially, if you're not familiar with dance marathon, all year long, students fundraise for their local Children's Miracle Network hospitals. And so it's completely student run. And when I started in 2007, oh man, we were raising maybe like $30,000. By the time I left, it was closer to about 90000 And then now the students at the university are raising over $2 million a Shut year. Shut the front door. Are you kidding? That's... Bananas. So it put us to shame, <laughs> but essentially like we, we put a lot of practices into place and changed the board structure and CF is a, it's either the first or the second largest university in the country. And so I remember always saying, if just every student, if every person gave a dollar, that would be like 50, $60,000. And so that kind of sparked, I participated in it. Then I was on the board. Then I was like co-chair essentially. And working on external partnerships and sponsorships in the community. And you, it was a full year commitment. It was like a job, a free job, <laughs> non-paid job. And that really sparked what I thought was going to be a job in some sort of like community relations position. And then long story short, since then, I did work for a nonprofit straight out of college for about two and a half years and did all things PR and advertising and social media was on the come up. It was in its infancy trying to figure out what it was. And so I was trying to figure out what it was. And so I was just naturally, I was growing in my career as social media was growing, especially within the business world. And then I moved to New York City, worked in the corporate world for a few years, and then decided to take that leap of faith in 2017. And go back to working in the nonprofit space, but on my own terms in running Positive Equation. So now the business has over six years, it's gone through lots of evolutions, as I'm sure you can relate to. But as of recent, I do a lot of speaking engagements and teachings and webinars all on paid advertising, which we're going to talk about today for nonprofits and building monthly giving programs. I love that so much. And thanks for... <laughs> Talking us through your origin story. And I actually, I love the dance-a-thon because I do think I have this, you and I were just talking about the fact that I was teaching a bunch of high school kids about social entrepreneurship. Yeah. So like the sooner we can get them into fundraising, the better, I think. And what's fantastic about it actually is I speak about this in one of my keynotes that I was 18 years old when I was introduced to Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. They have the balloons. If anybody's ever seen in some of the corporate partners are Publix, Costco. Walmart, IHOP, and 
at different times during the year, Dairy Queen, they'll have these balloons that they sell for a dollar or two dollars, whatever it is. And every time I see the balloon, I always say yes, like I will purchase and make a donation. And so it was ingrained in me about their mission and their brand when I was 18. And now I am about to be 34 and I still will donate every single year to that organization. Wow. Yeah. You got to start early. And actually what was cool is with my group, they all raised money for a nonprofit of their choice and they raised like a thousand dollars each, which for a 16 year old is pretty considerable. Okay. Dana, let's switch tacks because I want to talk about paid ads. Paid ads is not a, it's not a strategy that a lot of people think about, particularly the smaller nonprofits. And so generally when we think about building our email list or prospects, it tends to be organic, right? Word of mouth, friends of friends, social media, et cetera. Tell me why we should be thinking about a paid ad strategy. Oh, because it's so beneficial to in twofold, A, to reach the right audience with the right content at the right time. And so you're progressively able to move people through this funnel. I think what a lot of people see is in organic social media these days, it's maybe one to 3% of your audience sees your content now. So you might think you are posting a ton about your impact in your programs, but one to 3% of your audience is seeing that. And then it's, and what about all the new people that you're trying to reach, not just your supporters? So a paid ad strategy lets you really lean into very specific audiences that you're looking to reach and align that with very specific goals that you have, just like you mentioned emails. So like list building might be one or donations might be one or top of mind visibility might be one. So it allows you to really customize who you want to see that content that you're working so hard on all the time. Yeah, that's really helpful. And it's, I'm glad that you said that because I think in the back of a lot of people's minds, there's this idea of, oh, I'll just do the ice bucket challenge and I'll go viral. Yeah, the ice bucket challenge. So I think we can safely say that is not a strategy. Going viral is not a strategy, I would say. Uh, You want to, and even what I would say with ads is one of the biggest mistakes I see is there's usually this, there's a graph that I saw, it's like a hockey stick where organizations at the end of the year will do most of their ad budget, which logically, right, we think makes sense. November and December, we're trying to catch everybody. But what about the rest of the year? and like building new leads and nurturing people and staying top of mind. So just like the idea of the biggest mistake is I'm just going to all of a sudden run a donation campaign to these people who have no idea who I am and it's going to work. No, that is likely not going to work. Think about just human nature, right? The first time that you ever see a brand or get introduced to something, are you likely to buy it? Probably not, right? You need to see things multiple times. You want to learn about it. You want to watch a video about it. Then down the line, you might take action and engage with that person or that brand and donate. So the, yeah, going viral is not a viable strategy, I would say. Yeah, so let's talk about that because I do see that being a mistake that a lot of people make, which is, oh, people will hear about us and then they'll donate, not understanding that there's a funnel that you have to get people through, which is 
there's a difference between being aware of something, being engaged in it, being interested in it, and then actually committing. So can you talk a little bit, I, and I want to talk about paid ads really quickly, but what is a nurture sequence for those of us out here who don't have a marketing background? Yeah, no, of course. So I think you just kind of spoke to a few of those different stages, right? Usually you're in that awareness phase where you might watch a video on something and so you know it exists. Then I would say the next step is to actually take some sort of action. And maybe that's joining an email list, downloading a freebie, signing up for a webinar, like some sort of reading a blog, like just taking that next step of engagement. And then third is actually some sort of conversion. So what's the ask that you have? Are you, is it a donation? Is it signing a petition? Is it joining an event? Is it signing up for a run or a challenge? Something where you're committed and into it. And then I would actually say on the other end that I like to also share that is really powerful with social ads that you can do is sending thank yous. So on the back half, like you can use ads to target your existing audience of people. You can upload CSV files with email lists. You can retarget people who have engaged with certain posts or watch certain videos. And it could just be a thank you video. And like, how powerful is that? It's just to see an ad come across and it's just saying, thanks. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. What a nice, like surprise and delight moment. I love that so much. Okay. We're going to get a little technical in a minute, but what would you say? And I know I can hear this in my head already. Dana, we're a small nonprofit. We don't have money for ads. Yeah. What's your response to that? And how big a budget do you really need in order to actually make an impact with ads? This question comes up all the time, as you can imagine. And this is the best thing about ads. The question I always like to ask, and I'm like leaning into the microphone, is do you actually know how much it costs you to send out that mailer? How much does it actually cost you to put on that gala? Are you calculating all the hours of time of your staff? Are you calculating how long it takes you to put together all these email sequences and what's the return on that investment? The great thing about ads is you have this beautiful dashboard that is giving you back feedback, specifically saying, this copy is working, this content's working, this is how much this per cost video is. And for organizations with small budgets, I just wrapped a visibility ads challenge where the budget was a dollar to $3 a day. And the only goal was to be top of mind. So it was trying to reach out to warm audiences. So people who already knew them with three pieces of content, it's a dollar to $3 a day. So calculate that based on a month or two weeks or however long you wanted to run it. But dependent on your objective, ads can be extremely reasonable. One example I'll just share, a video view campaign. If you were looking to get eyeballs on a video, which then you can retarget people that watch that video, which is super smart, which goes into that funnel we talked about. You can get video views for 15 second video views. It's called a through play for a penny to three cents is usually the range. That is far cheaper than a stamp these days. And now you can actually retarget them to take the next action. They don't have to be expensive. It's just backing out of what is your goal? And there are so many averages online. There's a tool that I like to use called Revelbot, 
And at any given time, it's pulling together thousands of ads happening. And it's giving you an average of what's the average cost of an impression right now? What's the average cost of a link click right now? And so you can look at that and you can gauge, okay, like where do I stand in the scheme of things for the participants of the challenge? What we were looking at is what's the cost to reach a thousand people, which is an impression. An impression is reaching a thousand people. And I'm running ads right now where it's costing me a dollar to reach a thousand people. There was an organization where it was costing them $5 to reach a thousand people. Like you can't do that with any other types of platforms. So hardcore myth on the expense. <laughs> so again, to get technical about it, because I know very little about it, just enough to be dangerous. What's the, what's the here about the algorithm changing and does that impact the ad strategy? So the biggest change that happened recently-ish, recently-ish, was the iOS changes. So for anybody that is like, what is an iOS change? If you are an iPhone, Apple user, when you visit certain websites or download certain apps, you have been prompted within the past year and a half with this pop-up that says, would you like your activity to be tracked or not tracked? If you've said not tracked, then... Facebook does not have that exact data anymore that it used to, to know exactly like what you're doing, what you're clicking on. So that only means that when somebody is leaving Facebook, some of that data is lost. So you just have to do a little bit of detective work. Any actions on Facebook or Instagram, because Facebook owns Instagram, meta technically, are still accurately tracked because you are on their platforms. So there are now, you can run donation ads on Facebook. You can run video ads. You can run engagement, right? Anything that's keeping you within the platform is still going to be pretty accurate. It's when you leave. That would be the biggest change. That's not technically an algorithm change, but that's the biggest like ad update that's happened recently that's affected a lot of people. So when we think about all of the different platforms that we could run ads to, there's Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok, like where would you recommend that people start? So Facebook and Instagram are by far the easiest and low cost. LinkedIn also does have an ad platform. And what's great about theirs is that you can target people based on job titles, which is pretty cool. But in my personal experience, it's been very expensive. So I am always an advocate of testing. You always have to test and you can't shut something off. <laughs> this has happened so many times. Somebody runs it for a day and they're like, oh, it's not working. I don't see anything. I'm going to turn it off. No, like you have to give these ads time. I had this great conversation with Mark Dobkins from the Nonprofit Forever Projects. And they do a lot of ad spending. I like to think about ads manager like an employee. I can't fire them after a day if they're not performing. I have to give them some grace. And it's the same thing. Facebook and Instagram ads need about 3,000 impressions, so 3,000 people, to start to learn and to understand what's working or not. If you shut it off and it's reached 50 people, like you haven't given it enough data to do anything. TikTok, YouTube. Yeah, I would say, again, it goes back to what is your goal and your objective? And what are you looking for people to do? But essentially, you could test them all. And the other one I've not mentioned is, of course, Google ads. 
So search functionality. Right. Yeah. Honestly, Dana, like it becomes a little bit overwhelming. I hear SEO and my head wants to explode. If I'm a small nonprofit and I'm listening, I'm like, cool, Dana, I'm down. What are the four ads that I should be running? Totally. So number one, reach just to be, I would say reach and video views together. They're technically two separate types of ads. So one and two to be top of mind just to be out there because what we forget is right we're so bombarded by noise all the time reach and video view ads are extremely i teach about reach campaigns in my visible reach in a week course 27 minutes long like it's a very easy ad to get set up and created three lead generation if you want to grow a passionate email list it would be lead generation you can either do that within facebook where they have forms or send people off to your website where they can fill out name, email address. The best tip I have for lead generation is thinking about what's an exchange of value that you can provide to somebody. A great example, I have a case study I shared on my podcast a few months ago where an organization, which I'm sure you can totally agree that this is like the best feeling in the world. I had an organization email me. I was like, dear Dana, I'm on your email list. And I've taken your course, but you don't know who I am. But I had this great <laughs> case study about data I wanted to share with you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love people like this who actually want to share with me. They are a school and they took my lead generation course to grow their email list. And she had over, and now it's more than this now, but over 600 new emails for less than 50 cents. And what they did was so brilliant based on the relevant holiday, they created a coloring book. So I think it was for Halloween and their school, right? So they were looking for parents and kids. So they created a Halloween coloring book and then it had like their branding in the coloring book. So that was like their free download. For Christmas, they had a recipe book. So very basic things that you can create in Canva, very simply, or have a graphic designer help you. And she saw a ton of traffic. And then what you do is you have all these emails. Now you're in the power seat to put together a nurture sequence through email, which is where most people tend to give anyways. So that's ad number three, growing your email list. And that you can do, and you should do all year long. And then number four, of course, is one that everyone wants to run is donation-based, which is actually called conversions. So a conversion can be anything. It can be signing the petition. It can be joining the event. It can be donating. It can be buying something like a sale, an item on your website. But those are the main four. So reach, video views, lead gen, donations. Okay. So with let's talk about reach. What does that ad look like? Is it just, hey, we're here, learn more about us? What's the call to action with reach? So it depends on if you are trying to go after a cold audience that has no idea who you are. Or if you're going after a warm audience that people who are already engaged with us on Instagram, our Facebook followers. So during the visibility challenge, there was an organization, for example, who is looking to grow their monthly giving program. So she has a video that's introducing their monthly giving program. She went through my mastermind and I said, you should use your video. So she ran her, she's running her video currently to her warm audience to explain like, hey, you may have never known that we have this program, but I'm going to share this video with you. And so the call to action really at then is just to watch the video 
and learn about it. And then her next ad is going to retarget people to give donations. But it can be different. Usually reach is just like a, hey, we're here, status update, impact update, see us in the feed. It's that subconscious top of mind consideration is all it is. Got it. And let's talk about video for a second, because I think myself included, we get a little like self-conscious about video. What do I say? Any tips on that? And particularly thinking about length, right? Because we know that people's attention spans are waning. Any feedback or guidance on that? Yeah. So I would say with video, honestly, these guys, these iPhones are your best friends. Keeping it raw you don't have to create. I think people think video and they're like, oh, I need this high quality, high produced thing. No, like some of the best stuff that's working. It's why reels and TikToks are popping off is very raw content shot selfie style, making sure that you're formatting for vertical and not just like the horizontal. But I would say you want to, you always want to start. And I, this goes for copy too. You have a hook. So how are you going to hook people into the video? Normally a question a staggering statistic, something that's going to grab somebody's attention. One of the biggest errors I see on video is a lot of organizations want to have their logo on the video for the first five seconds. <laughs> and it's just like logo. No, that's not going to get anybody's attention. Like immediately start with someone's face that somebody can connect with. Lengthwise, if you are going to be running the video as a reel, you have to be less than 90 seconds. So that's just a great tip is to keep it less than 90 seconds across the board. Just to thinking about producing content for a video, like who do you recommend should be the person? Is it always the ED? Should it be like a young, fun staff member? Who is the spokesperson? It can be anybody, really. I think one of the organizations that I love that's done this so well is New Story. And they highlight different people in their organization all the time, dependent upon what the content is. When they were doing trips down to Mexico, maybe they had a program director talking and doing the update. Maybe it was their social media person. There's obviously times where it should be your CEO or your ED that's providing maybe a status. One of the organizations in the visibility challenge, one of the pieces of content I say to share is like a thought leadership moment. Can the ED come on and say, wow, it's been, this is, it's been an amazing quarter. Let me talk to you a little bit about what we've been working on the past couple months. And now this is where we're going. And this is why we need your help. So I think it just depends on what you're looking to share and who's the right voice to share that story. Is there a tension here between the being raw, being real? Because I was looking at TikTok last night and it is very authentic, or at least it appears to be, and staying true to the brand. Because I know there will be lots of people out there, particularly board members who are very risk averse, who are like, we got to have the talking points and the brand. So can you talk to me a little bit about the, if there is a tension between brand fidelity and like authenticity? I think what's so interesting about the board comment is most boards have worked for profit companies. And it's look at your social content. What is it doing and how is it performing? And then lots of times the advice for the nonprofit is so different, which is so weird to me. You obviously want to keep it within your brand voice, of course, but that is the nature of what makes social is that peer-to-peer -peer connection aspect. You can do graphic videos. And one of my great recommendations is 
I learn by watching, right? I either use ads library as a totally free tool by Facebook. If you just Google search Facebook ad library, you can see a ton of ads that are currently being ran by organizations. You could type in Nike, you can type in Children's Miracle Network, you can type in St. Jude who see what ads are running and start to just pay attention to what you naturally click on. It's like you're saying you're scrolling through TikTok. If you're scrolling through Instagram or you're scrolling through Facebook and an ad pops up and you notice that you paused or you clicked on it, screenshot it. Like, why did I click on that? And then you start to just create this like album. So the next time that you're having a brainstorm about ads, maybe you can look back and be like, oh, this caught my attention. Are we doing something like this? Would this work for our audience? I think we are our own best assistant <laughs> in learning is truly gauging by our own actions. So no, I would say, you, yeah, definitely stay true to your brand voice, but you also want to stay true to and understand what is that platform's business objective? What are they focusing on so that you can make sure that you're creating content that is going to then work on that platform the best? Yeah, that's really helpful. One thing that we didn't touch on, and I know this is not necessarily your area of expertise, but I know for myself personally, when I start to think about things like building my email list and whatever, or even ads, I get very anxious about copywriting and getting into the weeds on that. Or if I have an email nurture sequence, what do I say in it? So could you talk a little bit about the relationship between ads and writing good copy? Yeah, and it's so important. It's a really good question. You always want to think about who you're talking to and have it be one person. So think about the one person that you're trying to speak to and what would resonate with them. Again, Ads Library is a brilliant place to go to for ad copy and content inspiration for this. But a lot of times I see we sound so corporate and that's not going to touch the person on the other end. Or when we say big numbers, I was just consulting with an organization on their ad campaign. And since 1987, we've serviced 400,000. And that is so hard for somebody to visually, like visually compute in their mind. We can't, you can't. Talking about the one person, right? That's usually what works the best. So I would say with your copy, really think about, who are you trying to speak to? Is it going to resonate with them? Are you using, and look, the best thing about ads is you can test. You can have multiple types of copy and content. I do A-B tests all the time so that you can say, oh, this stat-driven post did really well, or this emotional-driven post worked really well. And what I mentioned with the video about the hook, same thing. There should be a hook with your copy. So like that first line, what's going like a teaser, what's going to grab somebody's attention, what's a little story, and then what's your call to action. We always want to make sure that we're leading them somewhere else. Yeah. I'm just trying to think about that. Cause the other thing too, that, that you didn't say, which perhaps is implied is that I think generally speaking, we don't know our audience enough. Mm -hmm. I think don't talk to our donors enough. We don't understand what they care about enough. We don't spend enough time understanding their worldview. And therefore we have a hard time creating content that speaks to them because we just don't know because we haven't asked the question. Yeah. There's a really great exercise I have that I could share a link with you on your donor avatar. 
and putting together that persona, which I'm sure you share about all the time. But what I add to it is like their social media avatar presence. It's like, where are they active? What other accounts are they engaging with? How frequently are they on social? Are they on it because they have kids and they are looking at all of the, like right now, since I'm about to have our first child, I'm getting targeted and interacting with all like labor and delivery and what to do with a newborn. (laughs) So it knows that I'm engaging with that. Therefore, it's showing me like everything about that topic. So it's like, when is this person interacting on social? When should we post? And when you mentioned about email, same thing goes with email. If you're running a like lead generation campaign, getting new email addresses, and you're putting them into this automatic email sequence, you need to remember where they came from, right? They came from downloading this recipe book. So maybe your first thing's about, we hope you enjoyed those recipes. Here's a little bit about more about what we do and remember how they came to you and how much context they have around you so that you continue informing them. The other thing I would say is, and this goes for everything that we're talking about with social, and this is like a little bit technically outside of the ad conversation, but in our sector, it, I wear a lot of hats tends to bear a lot of weight and almost, I don't know, a little bit of, I'm so proud that I wear a lot of hats, but I really think when it comes to social, it shows like whether you have a passion for it and you want to be doing it or not. (laughs) And I think it is one of those roles, especially now in 2023, like it should be mandatory, whether it's a VA, a part-time, a consultant, if you can hire full-time, I just interviewed Kimberly Bryant from Black Girls Code yesterday. And I asked her, at what point did you make digital a priority in hiring for your team? And she's like, immediately from the get-go. I knew it was important for us. So if you are someone listening to this, who social is not your jam, but you're just doing it, stop doing it. Give it to somebody else who likes doing it who understands the strategy, who wants to learn the ad space because it's not going to be worth your frustration. And I just think it's worth bearing and repeating that you are not going to probably see success if you're just churning the same thing over and over again. You need to bring in somebody who like can help you with that. And that will be your greatest investment. Yeah, I love that you said that because... I'm, as you might be able to tell, not a big social person. And it did feel like drudgery, but it could feel like delight to somebody else who, for whom this is their zone of genius. And I would just also underscore, just because you don't doing it doesn't mean that you will get value doing it as an organization. Like I think about, we everyone talks about charity water all of the time, like like the gold standard, but like they have a digital strategy. In fact, I would say they're probably digital first, honestly. Yeah, totally. And I talked to Vic Harrison all the time about this. And look, at the beginning, they were just throwing spaghetti on the wall too. But eventually, the ad hoc approach does not work. You have to turn it into, like you're saying, a strategy. The other thing that was compelling that Kimberly said, and this is just so fresh in my mind because we just spoke yesterday, was think about your team and their talents. She said they had a somebody in programming who they noticed had a really great knack for design. And they started to watch him do some design stuff. 
she's maybe you would be better served in a marketing role. She's oh, it pains me to have somebody leave our program department. And then he ended up becoming their marketing communicator, then our marketing director, and just now is doing, she said, branding for Snapchat and Twitter and all these things. But make sure to look at the true passions of your staff too. Are they best served in their current role? Or is there some something that might be missing? And ask them about it and see if they'd be interested. So I thought that was fascinating too. And I also think that we have to be intentional about investing in people's talent. And I think as a sector, yes. we, we like throw a thousand dollars into professional development and think that's enough. But actually, if we want to think about the long-term sustainability of the organization and the tenure of our staff, like we have to be willing to invest in things like yours, for example, if we're if we want to get a relatively young person into a more senior position or with more responsibilities. Absolutely. I had a conversation. I was doing a thought leadership engagement with Anne-Marie Gray, and she just retired from being CEO of a large nonprofit. And over eight years, she took the organization from $3 million to $225 million. And I asked her how, <laughs> what was your magic touch? And she said, I invested in the people. And she said, I invested in my staff with trainings, my, a lot of mindset trainings. And I invested in my board with trainings and she's hands down. So that was what was a game changer for us. And I just I, thought that was so true. Yeah. I love that too, because I think in the nonprofit world, we're so used to churn and we're so used to like burning through people and the revolving door. And we think that, oh, that's just how it is as a sector, but doesn't have to be that way. And I think if we actually took the approach of investing in our people, and I do think that can be a challenge because there is this narrative from funders that like it's overhead. Training is overhead or investing in staff is overhead and not programs related. But I think as a sector, if we're serious about longevity, we have to invest in people. But people are the ones doing the work. So if we want the work to happen, we have to invest in the people to help them make the difference, right? It makes no sense to not be investing in the people or else it's not going to happen. I 100% agree with you. It was like, I was so confused when people would talk about budget. 80% of your budget is staff. I'm like, how do you think the work happens? It's not like <laughs> magical fairies come in and do the work. Like we have to pay people to do the work. Anyway, I could go on, but I will not. Dan, is there anything else about ads that you think that the audience should know before we sign off? Man, I would just say, test it. Like you have to be willing to test with ads. You have to be willing to have Start with some small budget, maybe do a couple hundred dollars. One tip, if you know someone that works at Meta, they get a $250 a month ad credit that they can give to anyone and apply to your account. So if you happen to know a Meta employee, that's just a little tip or a suggestion to ask them if you can use their ad credit. But yeah, start small. I would say, look, my the Visible Reach in a Week course, it's $27. It takes you less than 30 minutes to do to practice a reach campaign. And it's a really great place to start if you're just getting started. But I would say just to get your feet wet is a really great strategy and to just start paying attention to the ads that you are naturally seeing yourself engaged with on online. That is awesome. We will make sure to put all the info on that in the show notes. Thank you so much. It's been super interesting and helpful. Thanks for having me. Super fun chatting with you. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everyone. 
Thanks, friends, for listening to Nonprofit Lowdown. If you like Nonprofit Lowdown, you will love my free weekly newsletter with resources, fundraising inspiration, and cute dog photos. Did I mention the cute dog photos? Sign up at RiaWong.com. That's R-H-E-A-W-O-N-G.com.